Good morning and happy Monday, September 26th. I'm Adam Wright. You are listening to Covenant Network at 7 a.m. And this is Roadmap to Heaven. Today is a pre-recorded show. More on that in a moment. But in the meantime, let us begin the day as we normally would in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, it's been a busy September. That is no joke. Last week was our fall radiothon. We're very grateful for everyone who called in with prayerful support and financial support. Uh, we're grateful just that you're with us. I mean, first and foremost, that's it. It is a joy to be with you each and every morning. Last week was a bit exhausting, and this week, well, I'm hitting the road to go to the Catholic radio conference, and so. I thought I could use a day off, and I hope you'll indulge me on that. But we still wanted to have a show for you. So on the show today, we're going to be visiting with Archbishop Mitchell Rosansky. I recently had a chance to sit down with him and talk about stewardship. And I want to come back to this question of what do you do when you have questions or doubts about your faith? And is there a difference between questions and doubts? We're going to go to an encore of a segment we did with Father Jeffrey Kirby. That's all ahead on the show. And let's take a break right now. When we come back, we will be joined by Archbishop Mitchell Rosansky. It's always a pleasure to be on the road at the Cardinal Regali Center here in the Archdiocese of St. Louis to visit with Archbishop Mitchell Rosansky. And today is certainly no exception to that, Archbishop. It's very good to be with you today. Adam, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. It's good to meet with you. Before we begin uh, with our questions on stewardship, our topic for today, I understand that you'd like to say a word to many of the children who are going back to school or have been back in school this month. Yes, and certainly uh, we remember all of them in our prayers as they continue their learning, as we ask God's graces upon them, and we ask for a very, very successful school year for all of them, and know that our prayers are with you. It's always good to hear the voices of our children in school who are there for learning and for knowing even more about the beauty of the world that God has created. I know that they value those words. I have five in school myself right now, and even the seventh grader hasn't gotten tired of going to school yet, so they must be off That's to a, a good, good start. That's a good thing. Great. Well, today we're going to talk about stewardship, and when we talk about stewardship, very often we hear the three buzzwords, time, talent, and treasure, which we can't ignore when talking about stewardship. But really, those are three components. I wonder, could you start us off with an overall definition or goal of stewardship, one of those two? Well, when we look back into sacred scriptures, all the way to the Hebrew scriptures, we find that amongst God's people, there is a sense of being grateful for the many gifts that they have received. And that carries through to Christianity. St. Paul urges the folks that he wrote to, to be grateful, to have grateful hearts for all that God has given to them. We see it in the early Christian community in the Acts of the Apostles, where the early Christians realized their commitment to help the wider community. So stewardship has really been the heart of God's people going all the way back to the Hebrew scriptures when we read of it. So 
for me, stewardship is, first of all, realizing how much we have to be grateful for to God, the ability to share those gifts with others. And it's an inherent part of our Christian heritage. It's an inherent part of God's people, that we are good stewards of what God has granted to us, but that also, as God looks out for all, we look out for others, too, in our stewardship. I think of our house. We live in a house that's about 82 years old now. Soon we'll be coming up, uh, before we know it, on its 100-year anniversary in the neighborhood. And we're the third owners of the house. And in many ways, as much as it is our house, I, I somewhat feel like a caretaker of a piece of history. Now, I can only imagine as a pastor, then as a bishop, and now an archbishop, you, you have a greater sense of that with each parish that you are assigned to, and now the diocese and archdiocese, and even the beautiful cathedral here. So when we talk about being stewards of that, and we talk about being grateful for what we've received, this is really saying, Lord, you've given us this gift, and we want to do our part to pass it then on to the rest of the people? Is that correct? Indeed, because the church exists to evangelize. All of our physical buildings and structures exist so that we can bring the word of God to others. So it's so important that we realize our role in salvation history. I think when we talk about Mary, the mother of Jesus, saying yes to the angel Gabriel and welcoming Jesus into her womb, we think of her role in salvation history. We think of St. Joseph and his dream to take Mary as his wife and being the foster father of Jesus and the caretaker of the Holy Family, we think of his role in salvation history. But each one of us has a role in salvation history. Each one of us is called to proclaim that kingdom of God. It might not be a role as unique as the Virgin Mary's or St. Joseph's, but it is a role of being a baptized member of the church that we are called to Bring that faith to others. Bring that faith that so animates us and gives us life and share that faith with others. And that's all part of stewardship, being able to realize what great gift we have been given in the faith and how do we bring that gift to others. So that's what I would actually like to talk about next, that gift of the faith. And as I've been preparing for today, I've been thinking about the parable of the talents, which we've all heard many times that the master gives one servant this many and another this many. And then there's the servant who received one. And out of fear, he buries it in the ground and says, Master, I know that you sow where you do not plant, but I was afraid to lose it. So I just buried it in the ground. Here's the one talent back. And the master was not happy with this servant. It seems to me that in that parable, our Lord is telling us we have an obligation to build upon what's given us. Would that be a correct way to look at it, that God has given us this gift or whatever gift it may be, and we're not just to sit around with it. We do have to do whatever we can to share the gifts of the Lord with others. You know, Jesus was so insightful into the human condition, and that insight is proven as we read the parables, because Jesus gave to the people of his day, and he gives to us really an image of what the kingdom is like, or different images, I should say, depending upon the parable. So in that parable of the talents, Jesus does give to us a sense of the responsibility that we have 
in using our gifts and talents in bringing the kingdom to others. So very great insight into our human condition saying, yes, we know how to invest these things. We know how to use these talents wisely and let us be the good stewards that we're able to multiply those talents, not to be the one who just buried it in the ground and sat back and did nothing because we don't have that luxury in our world. Something else I've been thinking about as I reflect upon this parable, what if they would have made a mistake? I mean, we hear about the first steward who goes out and he multiplies and brings back tenfold, and the the second steward goes and brings back more than he was given. I have a financial advisor because I know if you said to me, Adam, here's some money, go invest it. Odds are good I'm probably not going to bring you back a return on your investment. And yet... Thinking beyond finances, it's easy to think of stewardship in terms of treasure, but thinking of time with my family, giving that time to the Lord. What if I try and I fail? For example, we had a listener on recently who shared that in their home they have young children. They were starting to pray a family rosary together, and and they had all of these dreams that it was going to be a very reverent, prayerful rosary, just very idyllic, and it turned into what they like to call the rosary rumble because the toddler's climbing on the couch and the other kid's climbing on mom, and between every Hail Mary, it's, would you get down from there? Sometimes, even in my home, things like that happen, and I I feel somewhat like a failure in trying to give these things to my children and to the Lord, and I wonder, would it just have been better not to try this at all? What's the message we can learn from this parable as we try to apply this in our homes and in our own lives? I think what Jesus is telling us in that parable is to do nothing is to fail. But to do something, and even though it doesn't turn out in the way we planned or we don't put as much time as we originally planned to put into it, even though those things happen, we are trying. We're on the road to holiness, and we can't just throw up our arms and give up because we have some setbacks. The church knows that. The church knows that we are not perfect. And that's why we have the sacrament of reconciliation, to help us face what we've done wrong and to try over again. So for Jesus, the failure is not in maybe not succeeding in what we originally try to do. For Jesus, the failure is not to try at all. And when we give up and we don't try at all, it means we've lost hope. And we are indeed a people that hope is at the core of our Christian message. So try, as they say, try, try again, but don't give up that hope. Always strive because we're always on the way to holiness, always on the way to sainthood. I'd like to wrap up um, going back to what we started with. You, you right off the bat said stewardship starts with gratitude. God has given us this gift. We are grateful. And then we turn around and share it with others. And I think back to my late teens, early 20s, when I was discerning a possible call to the priesthood, the vocation director in one of our meetings said, I'd like to remind you that God is never outdone in generosity. And the example he used still sticks with me, that God in creation gives us wheat and grapes, and we turn around and say, Lord, we're going to give you bread, and we're going to give you wine. In fact, we bring it up in the offertory procession at Mass, and our Lord says, that's wonderful, and now I'm going to take that bread and wine that you're giving me, and I'm going to give you something even greater. I'm going to give you myself. 
it sounds like stewardship can really change our lives if, if we trust our Lord's call to be grateful and to be generous and to share his gifts with others. Do you have any stories of, about how stewardship has changed someone's life or even your life? Sure. And, you know, I find the greatest faith in our lay people. And I remember many years ago, I was in my second assignment, still a young priest then, and every week, one woman would come to the parish center, and she would sort through all the clothes that had been donated for the poor. And she would take them out and fold them up and lovingly make sure that they were stored in the proper manner and, and ready for distribution. One day I went back to the room where she was and I said, uh, Catherine, do you ever get tired of taking care of all these clothes? And she said to me, well, you know, Father, I don't. She said, because as I'm folding these clothes, I pray for the people who will receive them. And I ask that God watch over them as these clothes will help them. May God's grace help them. What a powerful message of stewardship of it wasn't just a task that she was doing, but rather it was really a prayer. She was praying as she was doing all of this. And that, for me, was a powerful witness of stewardship at work. Catherine was giving of her time. She was folding those clothes. It was accomplishing a purpose. But as she was accomplishing that purpose, she was also accomplishing another purpose, to have that great insight to pray for those who would receive that used clothing. What a wonderful example of stewardship being at work in our lives. That's truly beautiful, and it gives me something to think about next time that load of laundry comes out of the dryer with the five kids at home. That there you per go. Perhaps instead of handing it off to them, I could pray for them and pray for my wife as well. Archbishop Rosansky, I'd like to thank you for taking this time to talk about stewardship with us here on Roadmap to Heaven this morning. Could I ask you to close our time together with a prayer for us to grow in generosity and gratitude? Thank you, Adam, and thank you for this opportunity and for the time to pray also with our listeners. And so let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Gracious and loving God, as we look around our wonderful world, we know of the many gifts that you have bestowed upon us. You call us through the gift of faith to be able to imitate your goodness to others and to share our gifts with others too. Give to us, O Lord, generous hearts, so that in reaching out to others, we may reflect your love in our world. Help us always to realize that with the gift of faith comes the wonderful responsibility of sharing in your creation, of caring for your gifts, and especially of caring for one another. Bless all of our efforts in your name, for we pray this through Jesus, your Son, who gave his life for our sakes, and who is Lord and Savior forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network. We're going to take a break. Stay tuned. Today is the feast day of Saints Cosmas and Damian, who are martyrs, and Saint Pope Paul VI. 
Born in northern Italy in 1897, his given name was Giovanni Battista Montini. His father was a lawyer, and both of his parents were very involved in an organization called Catholic Action, whose mission, as described by Pope Pius XI, was the participation of the laity in the apostolate of the hierarchy. Although he suffered from ill health fairly often, he excelled in his studies and grew in his faith, and in 1916 entered the seminary. By 1920, he was an ordained priest with a doctorate in canon law. Father Montini was then sent to several other universities for more study, and by the time he was 25, was appointed as Papal Secretary of State. This accelerated journey meant he never served as a parish priest. In 1954, he was named Bishop of Milan and quickly went to work to reach a community that had become cool in its faith in one two-week period in 1957. He had more than 500 priests, bishops, and laypeople deliver over 7,000 sermons to the people of Milan in locations that ranged from churches and factories to public squares. In 1958, he became a cardinal and was deeply involved in Vatican II. After the death of Pope John XXIII, he was elected pope and chose the name Paul. He reconvened and guided to conclusion Vatican II and in 1968 wrote the last of his seven encyclicals, Humanae Vitae. He died in 1978 and was canonized in 2018. St. Pope Paul VI, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. Back in the spring, we had a conversation with Father Jeffrey Kirby about our faith. And, you know, we say in the Easter Vigil that we're proud to profess our faith. But what do we do when we have questions and doubts? Well, we're going to go to this Encore segment of this interview and revisit that. Because, you know, as we learned last week in our Radiothon, uh, every now and then we have questions. And, well, the church... She has the answers. Why? Because our Lord is the fullness of truth himself. And so let's go back in time to this interview with Father Kirby. But it's not always like that. Sometimes we might have doubts. Sometimes doubts creep into our mind, and what do we do when that happens? Well, I could think of no one better to talk to than frequent contributor to Roadmap to Heaven, Father Jeffrey Kirby. Father, good morning to you. Good morning, Adam. It's good to be on the show. It's always good to have you here. I know that for all of us, at some point or another, there's going to be something about our faith that we don't understand. So let's start here. Sometimes people would say, well, don't question it, just follow it. And I, I get worried about that, Father, because I think back to high school where they taught us that our study of theology at its core is really faith-seeking understanding. We don't understand something. We've got a doubt. What do we do? Yes, yes. So first, uh, that that situation you described, Adam, where someone says, you know, uh, don't try to think it out, uh, don't ask questions, uh, just accept it, you know. We have to be careful of that, because if you push that a little bit farther, that falls into what our tradition calls fideism, which is, the you know, the, the total uh, denouncing of reason and, and just accepting blind faith. That, that's not our tradition, contrary to what uh, secular people might, might think. No, our, our faith, as you described, seeks understanding. Faith complements reason. Reason serves faith. So we should ask questions. We, we should seek to go deeper, to, to have a fuller understanding so that we can give even more of our hearts. I mean, you know, the spiritual maxim, you can only love what you know. <laughs> well, how do we know something? You know, well, we ask questions. We, we want to dive more into it. We, we give some small challenges. We, you know, we, we want to understand. And it's by understanding that we can 
then more greatly love. So I think love compels us to ask questions and sometimes to make things uncomfortable as we try to grow in our knowledge. Father, you do a lot of catechesis in your parish. Where do you direct people when they, when they say, I want to know more about what the Church teaches? Where is Catechism 101 start us out at? Yes, yes. So first, whenever people start to ask that question, I, as we're doing uh, in this conversation, to, to kind of put things in context. So, for example, uh, St. Paul, the great St. Paul, after his conversion, uh, we are told that uh, he tells us in his letter to the Galatians in the New Testament that after his conversion with the Lord, he went into the desert of Arabia for three years. And, and asked a lot of questions, you know, and, and, and taught some answers. And we're told again by him in his letters to Galatians that after those three years, he went and he sought out Simon Peter, chief apostle, and he sat at his feet for 15 days, he tells us, and he learned the faith. So all the questions he had, all the wrestling that he did in the desert, Paul then comes and then seeks wisdom. So I think in similar fashion, we, we ask those who are more seasoned in the ways of the Lord. We we seek wisdom and help from, of course, priests, deacons, but but also like you know, for young people, their parents, grandparents, uh, for other people in the parish who are more uh, seasoned in the Lord. So these can be people who are in professional ministry. These can be people who are, are parish leaders, maybe in a volunteer status, but but very much serving the Lord. So I think just finding these mentors that are reliable and are, are you know, having, and it's clearly visible that they have this relationship with the Lord. So I think that's one step. Also, Adam, you know, uh, Pope, um, Pope John Paul II, of course, was always talking about faith and reason, this complement between the two. There's a big joke about Pope John Paul II. They said he always tried to find a connection with everyone. There's a joke that says that if he talked to a cannibal, he would say, yes, you're right, we need a daily dose of protein, but should we look at different ways of finding the protein? <laughs> You know, he, he would always be looking for, for some bridge, some connection. And I think that when we find ourselves questioning, uh, we should try to find that bridge. Who can understand? Who can help address this uh, in, in the best possible way? So a mentor, but again, a, a reliable one, uh, not simply in terms of, of the faith, but also in terms of where we are. You know, so because there are some people who can be great disciples, but they can't help us. Temperament, personality, age, whatever it might be. But also... I want to highlight something that should give us great consolation in our tradition. Uh, St. Uh, John Henry Newman, great intellect, probably the greatest theologian of the 19th century, uh, said simply, a thousand questions do not equal one doubt. And, and I want to emphasize that because you know, a doubt is something where you get to the point where you stop asking questions and you say, I don't believe this, right? But that's the opposite of asking questions. In fact, we ask questions so we don't doubt, you know? So I think we, we find the mentors, we find the ones that are reliable, the ones that connect with us, and then we go to the sources that the Church has given to us, the sacred scriptures. I mentioned about the Galatians. St. Paul is telling us his own spiritual journey, but also the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Adam, I love the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and I remember a time when we didn't have it. And I, I try to tell the younger generation when I'm teaching uh, especially with, uh, to the youth, uh, this is a great gift. <laughs> you can look, and in this one volume are all of the substantial teachings of our faith. You don't have to be in doubt. You don't have to be confused. You don't have to you know, act as if you're an orphan out in the dark. No, you're a child of God. There's a lamp unto our feet. So use these sources given to us by the Holy Spirit through the Church. 
Father, you mentioned doubts, and this is another area I want to get to, because I think with questions and saying, Lord, I don't understand this, but I want to understand this, there is a humility present that says, even if I don't understand it, I recognize that God is God and that I am not God and that I would do well to align myself with him, as we we spoke about a, a few interviews back in February. And yet then there's doubt, especially in this post-Christian age we live in. It makes me think back to Genesis. You know, I can almost hear the, the serpent saying to Eve, you don't, you don't really believe that, do you? <laughs> do, do you really believe that, Eve, that if you eat that apple, that's what's going to happen? And our culture does this all of the time. This is a very dangerous trap for us. Why is that? Yes, yes. I think that, you know, and in popular jargon, we have to be careful because doubt can sometimes be presented as a synonym for questioning. And I just want to draw that distinction again that, you know, questioning is, is seeking understanding. It's a, it's a good thing. It's a healthy thing. It's an act of love. Doubt is when the questions stop and suddenly there's suspicion or skepticism. And that's it. The heart is closed. Um, I don't believe this. I will not accept this. There's more of a defiance. Yes, you can imagine, for example, the person who says they, they struggle with the teachings of the church, say they struggle with the church's teachings on contraception or capital punishment or, you know, whatever it might be. And imagine the one disciple who says, I'm going to keep asking questions, asking for resources, because I, I, I want the graces of conversion. I want to understand why the church would teach this. What, what is the divine wisdom here, right? And they're asking questions, they're pushing and they're challenging, and, and, and they really want and are praying for these graces of conversion. That's very different than the person who says, nah, that's stupid. I don't, that, that, I don't know why the Church teaches that. The Church is wrong, right? And, and in the moral realm, we have to be careful, because not only is that a doubt, but that becomes the intellectual sin of pride. You know, that I'm not even going to learn. I don't need to learn. And what's behind that is this spirit of rationalism, which is, I will only believe what I can immediately understand. I mean, that is such a small world. You know, I will only believe what I can immediately understand. It's like, what? Like, I would never restrict my life to such a small realm of existence. Like, so, no, it's like, I think that we, if I allow ourselves to live in this world of doubt, uh, it's prevalent in our world. We doubt everything. We doubt everyone. Uh, it, it's amazing that we can even love <laughs> when we allow a culture of doubt. But we see that. The spirit of questioning is vastly different because it really is the heart that's yearning, the heart that wants to accept, wants to understand, wants to give what St. Paul calls the obedience of faith. And of course, that faith needs to help a reason to, to understand. So I, I want to, as we're doing this conversation, just distinguish between doubt and questioning. Like questioning is good. Uh, the Catechism of the Catholic Church warns us about doubt. Voluntary doubt is the death of faith. We have to be very careful. Finally, Father, I, I want to ask this question, and we're, we're almost out of time here, but there's going to come a point where we just are not going to understand in this earthly life why the truth is the truth or, or why one aspect of our faith is the way it is. But we can't doubt it. We can't ignore it. So what do we do at that point? Yes, yes. I think that's where, you know, authentically nurturing reason, we, we do make the act of faith. So, you know, we say that faith is not against reason. But faith is above reason, so we call it supernatural. So super is above natural nature. So it's above our nature. It's the one of the ways in which we participate in the life of God. We use our reason. We ask questions, but then there do come times when 
you know, we, we've, we've tried to ask the questions. We're still trying to, we're struggling. We're trying to understand. That's an important process that we need to persevere in. But in the end, we say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I, I, I know that you are the way, the truth, and the life. I want to follow you. I, I, I want to give my heart to you in this, and I just ask you to help me. So I think that, you know, these acts of faith are also important as we desire the real grace of conversion. Like, why does the Church teach that? Why, why is the Gospel, you know, call this from me? Uh, and, and the person who, in the midst of that wrestling match, that struggle, is willing to say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Father, this has been a, a very enlightening conversation for me. I wonder, could you close our time together with a prayer, please? Absolutely. Let us pray. Lord, we ask that you let your face shine upon us. May you teach us. May you keep our hearts always open to your truth. May you guide us along your way. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father Jeffrey Kirby, thank you for being with us once again on Roadmap to Heaven. Friends, we're going to take a break. Stay tuned for more. Act of Faith. O oh my God, I firmly believe that Thou art one God in three divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I believe that Thy divine Son became man and died for our sins, and that He shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe these and all the truths which the Holy Catholic Church teaches, because Thou hast revealed them who canst neither deceive nor be deceived. Amen. Happy Monday to you. It's time for a new theme on our week of the Daily Dose of Encouragement. And Patty Schneier is here with us as usual. Patty, what are we going to be talking about this week? This week we are talking about evangelization. And as John Paul II said, we need a new evangelization. And he was talking about evangelizing those that perhaps were raised in the Catholic faith, but still need to be brought back to the faith. They don't really, they didn't really have that encounter with Jesus. And we know in our own families, many of us, this applies to all of us. We have people in our lives that we would like to evangelize and help bring them back to the faith. So, I'm going to be borrowing, again, I borrow a lot from people that I hear as I travel and speak and hear different other speakers who are phenomenal about some of their ideas about evangelization. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to just share some nuggets about evangelization. The first image is of cut flowers. Cut flowers. What does that have to do with evangelization? Well, I heard a priest once say that those who have left the church are like cut flowers. At first, they seem fine, but they have no roots and eventually they die. So they've been cut off from the vine. And what we have to remember, another priest once said this, we have to remember that the lost sheep are lost because they wanna be lost. They've wandered off because they think pastures are greener somewhere else. They wanna be lost. And he says, you know how hard it is to wrestle a sheep, to get a sheep, to put that sheep on your shoulder. You got to get them down. You got to catch him first. You got to wrestle the sheep, put them on your shoulders and bring them home. He goes, you know how then to carry the sheep home, I'm using the image of the lost sheep when Jesus went after that one. Do you know how hard it is to carry a sheep? I mean, that sheep is going to soil you. It's going to take a lot of hard work to save a soul. And that's true. That's true. But this one priest said, don't be afraid of the hard work. Jesus showed us the price of a soul. And we have to remember that redemption actually hurts and redemption actually costs. So here's the question for us today. Are we willing to co-redeem with Christ? Co-redeem with Christ. Christ is the one who saves. Christ is the one who rescues. But what are we willing to do? How strong is our commitment to pray day in and day out, offering masses, rosaries, holy hours, works, sufferings for the conversions of your loved ones? And there's hope. There's always, always hope. Another priest said this, and I just want to share this, the final word for today. 
hope. Wherever there is Jesus Christ, there is victory. Always. Period. End of discussion. So if you have hope for the conversion of your loved ones and you are willing to sacrifice, sacrifice, pray, 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 then there is hope. And that's what we have to hang on to. Patty, sometimes the task of evangelization can seem insurmountable in today's day and age, but the fact that you end it with hope gives me great hope, and I think it's something we're going to carry forward into this week. Well, that is the show today. We want to thank you for being with us. I will be back in studio tomorrow morning. Happy to be with you. We're going to be talking about archangels. It's going to be a fun conversation and more. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end, amen. Our Lady, Queen of Heaven, pray for us. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. You know, one of the thoughts I have every day is that living our faith can be challenging, it can be hard. Sometimes it's difficult to be holy, but we have to do it anyway. And I'd be lost if I weren't trying to do this with you or with the help of the Blessed Mother. So until tomorrow, for Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. Thanks for listening to Roadmap to Heaven. Pray your rosary today.